Welcome to The Common Rounds, medical education for medical students by medical students. And in this episode, uh, we'll start off discussing the physiology of the respiratory system, um, which will in turn help us understand when things go wrong. In this episode, I'll introduce the concept of respiratory function, after which we'll talk about ventilation, uh, ventilation referring to the ability of the lungs to exchange air um, with the atmosphere. And finally, we'll uh, talk about circulation before moving on. To recap the last episode, air travels through the atmosphere, uh, from the atmosphere through a series of progressively narrowing airways to reach the terminal unit for respiration, which is the alveoli. The alveoli are lined by blood vessels. The blood that flows through here is spread out throughout the lung to increase the interface between blood vessels and alveoli so that gas exchange can occur with carbon dioxide diffusing outwards and oxygen uh, diffusing inwards at a maximum rate and uh, with the biggest surface area that is possible. Gas exchange itself can be affected in different levels and this is the way I think of uh, lung diseases in general. The first is the atmosphere where the amount of oxygen may be reduced. This occurs in places where the partial pressure of oxygen in the atmosphere is reduced, such as life in high altitude uh, areas. Oxygen itself can be replaced by another gas such as carbon monoxide, which can dispose oxygen that is bound to hemoglobin in the blood. The, the second level at which gas exchange can be affected is the airway itself, which can be narrowed uh, due to com- accumulation of substances within the pipes, such as mucus, foreign bodies, water, blood. They can also be narrowed by the contraction of the smooth muscle that lines and controls the diameter of the airway. The terminal alveoli can also be affected by enlargement at the uh, terminal ends of the air sacs, and this could affect the physiology of gas of gas exchange. The third level is the interface between the gas in the alveoli and the blood, which is inside the blood vessels, separated by the very thin layer of interstitium. Uh, this happens in diseases where the interface between the these two tissues is increased and uh, the diffusion capacity is reduced. The fourth level is blood itself. So blood oxygen in blood is carried by hemoglobin, and hemoglobin itself can be affected by diseases that affect its structure. The flow through the lungs and the rest of the body can also be affected by vascular diseases which carry blood away from the lungs to the heart or to the rest of the body, or vice versa. And the fifth level is the amount of gas that enters any tissue, uh, which may increase uh, in states such as exercise or disease where the metabolic requirements of the particular tissue goes up. So the question then to be asked is how does the, how does the respiratory system deal with challenges such as those that we've described already? From a purely anatomic point of view, the, the respiratory system is under the influence of hormones and neuronal signaling, which control the fluid dynamics of air entering into the system. When oxygen levels in the blood is reduced, the brain's respiratory centers detect this in a complex system that we will talk about later. This increases the rate and the depth of inspiration to increase the amount of oxygen making its way into the lung. Goblet cells throughout the entire respiratory system secrete a sticky, thick mucin, which traps foreign particles that's brushed upwards by cilia, uh, keeping the airway clear. Similarly, when an irritant comes into contact with the respiratory system, the cough or sneeze reflex is uh, activated, as we will talk about in further episodes. This forceful ejection of air expels any accumulated noxious agent. Coughing and sneezing is very essential to keep foreign particles and potentially harmful substances away um, from the lung. These uh, harmful substances could be from the environment or from the body itself. 
due to regurgitated contents from the gastrointestinal system. When a person coughs, the diaphragm relaxes and the abdominal and chest wall muscles contract against a closed glottis, the upper airway. As the pressure inside the thorax increases, the glottis opens and the very high pressure forces air uh, out into the rest of the atmosphere to expel anything uh, caught within the system. The sympathetic nervous system is in direct control of the bronchi, causing smooth muscle relaxation to allow the airway diameter to be increased. The parasympathetic nervous system acts in the exact opposite through the vagus nerve to, do the, uh, to contract this airway uh, using a smooth muscle. The nasal cavity contains turbinate bones, which are protrusions that disrupt laminar flow into the airway, making the flow inside this region turbulent. By doing this, it increases the contact that incoming air makes with the nasal cavity, allowing particles to be trapped and at the same time allowing inhaled air to be warmed up by the rich vasculature of the nasal cavity. Any irritant that can be captured in the hair in the nose uh, allows this to be expelled immediately through secretions. However, the smaller the particle is, the more likely it is to make its way deeper into the respiratory system. This is how some mineral particles make their way deep into the lung tissue and cause diseases. The airway also plays an important role in preventing the formation of organic infections within and preventing its spread to the rest of the body. We've already discussed how foreign material is trapped within the nasal turbinates. The mucus is secreted and the nasal hair also uh, has a role. To add to, these factor, to add to these factors, goblet cells are distributed throughout the respiratory system and they're secreted and they secrete mucin, which contains antibacterial compounds such as immunoglobulins, lysozyme, lactoferrin, which binds uh, iron that's useful for bacteria to thrive, and a substance called defensins. The epiglottis plays an important role in the prevention of ingested substances from the oral cavity, making their way into the lungs and instead directing all of their input into the esophagus. At the same time, it also stops regurgitated uh, substance from the stomach into the lung. Within the alveolar tissue, macrophages are present to kill any organism that manages to make their way into the lung and at the same time they are also capable of eliciting an immune response to get rid of the invaded pathogens. The lymphatic circulation of the lung also plays a role in the transfer of microorganisms to secondary lymphatic tissue where they can engage the adaptive immune system. For a pathogen to successfully cause disease, it must have evolved a mechanism that either allows it to thrive in the hostile, hostile environment or escape all the defensive capability that is contained within this beautiful system. The respiratory system is also responsible for the production of sound. This is done by the vocal cords that are located within the trachea. The aperture of the vocal cords is controlled by different muscles contained within this region. And the control of this aperture and the speed at which air is released from the lungs through the vocal cords determines the quality of the sound that is produced, allowing us to converse. With that introduction to the physiology of uh, respiratory medicine, um, I'll finish this episode. In the next episode, which I'm going to release sometime this week, uh, will be on pulmonary ventilation. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer, Gautam, and our co-editor, Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. 
and we'll see you next time. See you next time.